This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 61. It's now to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your continued and rich blessing upon us. Thank you for the truth of your holy word, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life, and that it truly leads us and guides us and instructs us in the way that we should go, and giving us great hope and comfort in time of need. And so we would pray, Father, that you would bless your word to us and that it would truly find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What if you could just suddenly transport yourself far away from all your troubles and all your concerns. Going to a place of just pure peace and tranquility. You could simply escape for a time from all the challenges and the pressures that life brings. That would be pretty tempting, I would think. But even if it were possible, and it's really not possible. If it were possible, you would eventually, though, have to return to reality where all those trials and those troubles would be there waiting for you. And we know as sinners who live in a fallen and sinful world that there is seemingly no end to the stress, to the turmoil, to the pain, to the suffering, to the challenges that we face in this life. And yet it's seemingly in our nature to always seek some kind of escape from it all. Because when you think about it, no one really enjoys pain and suffering. But too often, the escapes that people do seek to provide, at best, they again only temporarily bring temporary relief from such challenges. And as we mentioned, they, you just have to come back to it. But at worst, sometimes those escapes may actually 
increase the pain and the suffering. So if escaping isn't the answer, well, how do we cope? And where do you turn when you're faced with such distress and and physical, spiritual, or even emotional turmoil? In our passage this morning, we see David uh, crying out to the Lord, seeking relief and help and, and deliverance. And as he prays, though, he's led to a place of confidence, assurance, and hope, even to a rock that is higher than him. Now it's clear, as you read through this psalm, that David is in great distress. And we don't know, we're not given the occasion, we don't know specifically what's causing his distress. But again, the language that he uses is severe and and gives a sense of urgency. He calls upon the Lord to hear my cry. We think of crying, we think of tears and anguish. And attend to my prayer. He's in need. It's a cry, it's a desperate plea for the mercy and the grace of God. And this is further demonstrated in verse 2 where he describes, From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. David may be far away, seemingly on the other side of the world from, from home from his his palace in Jerusalem, and perhaps even more keenly, from the presence of God on Mount Zion. It's possible that this psalm was written when David's son Absalom rebelled against him and chased him out of the city. Or perhaps David is just away with, with the army of Israel, protecting Israel's borders, and yet he finds himself in trouble far away from home. But it's also possible that David isn't so much physically distant as he is emotionally or spiritually distant. We know that you don't have to literally be at the end of the earth to feel as though you're far away. Having been carried away perhaps by troubles, concerns, and and suffering, you're pushed away from from others, from all your relationships, and you feel isolated and lonely. Certainly David had such times in his life. And we see it frequently. He expresses it in the Psalms. His, His struggles with spiritual depression brought on by overwhelming trouble. Or the persecution or suffering that he faces seemingly relentlessly from enemies. Or even the isolation from God and others that has been brought on by unconfessed sin. Whatever the situation, one thing is clear. David is is desperate as his heart is overwhelmed. He's faint and weak and and is exhausted. He's overcome with distress. He, He does the only thing then that he's able to do. He cries out to the Lord for help. And a specific plea is found in the second part of verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What is this rock? 
Well, if you think about David and his life, rocks have actually been pretty significant to him. It was a small rock, a, a smooth stone that he, he used to defeat the giant Goliath. And so the rock was used to give him victory over his enemies. There was the rocky terrain of Israel with all of its caves that provided protection for David when he was on the run from King Saul. And even the city of Jerusalem itself was a city set upon a rocky hill with a high wall of cut rock that protected the city from enemies. And so in a very real way, rocks have been a place of of protection and safety for David. And for us, the high rock can be a, a picture of the place that we look for, a place for rest and refuge amidst the swirling sea of life's troubles. And this is what David is seeking here. But note that the rock he desires is higher than I. That is, it's, it's bigger and stronger than him. Now standing on his own feet, he's, he's quickly been overwhelmed with a wave of trouble. And he knows that he must go to higher ground or he'll drown in the floods of distress and despair. In other words, David realizes that facing his trials and affliction in his own strength is completely inadequate. He's not strong enough. He's not able to protect himself. And he'll be lost if he doesn't find some place more secure to stand, something higher up that will take him out of reach of the destructive forces of the storm of trouble that he's currently enduring. Beloved of God, this is most significant for us to remember. As we seek to endure such challenging times, even in our own lives. The first step to weathering storms in life is humbly acknowledging that we need help. That we're unable to get through it on our own strength. Because we find very quickly that when we rely on our own strength, then we're putting our trust in sinking sand. And it's unstable, weak, and leads to destruction. If we want true security, we need a solid rock upon which to stand. Something that is much higher than we are, that that can offer us strength, safety, and protection. And if we find such a refuge, not only will our feet be firmly planted amidst the storm but the height will enable us to have an advantage over the enemies that seek our downfall, right? We can more easily see the assaults coming and then better be able to, or, or better be able to defend ourselves. So where do we find such a rock? Brothers and sisters, is it not to be found in, in God and in His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Indeed it is. Jesus Christ is the rock upon which we can firmly stand and find refuge and safety against the assaults of the evil one, temptation of sin and persecution and suffering in this life. God through Jesus gives us the grace and the strength that we need to endure all these onslaughts. Now we mustn't misunderstand here. 
standing on the rock of Christ doesn't mean that we'll then never be assaulted. Certainly not at all. In fact, Jesus Himself tells us that if if our faith is in Him, that if we can in fact stand upon Him in faith, well then we will be tempted. And we will endure much suffering for His sake as the evil one tries to bring us down. But this high rock, who is Jesus Christ, gives us assurance that He'll be there with us in the midst of it all, and that these trials and troubles won't overtake us, they won't overwhelm us, they will not destroy us. We'll be safe when we, by faith, stand on Jesus Christ, our rock. But we should also note here that David cries for the Lord to lead me to this place of refuge. See, David is far away in in unfamiliar territory, perhaps even lost in, in enemy lands. He's weak and distressed. He knows he needs help, but he doesn't know how to get to the place of refuge. He can't get there by himself. And so he asks the Lord, lead me. Guide me to the place that I need to go for safety and refuge. Show me the way. Now David is demonstrating here great trust in the Lord. He doesn't know where he is or which way to go, but he trusts and believes that the Lord will lead him to safety. Friends, this is what we must do as well. You can trust a a GPS to get you from from point A to point B on a map, but you can't use a, a GPS to lead and guide you through life. Especially when you're in the midst of storms, of trials and afflictions. How do you know where to go or what to do? How will you be able to find your way to that solid rock of Jesus Christ? Well, you must trust the Lord to get you there. And thankfully, the Lord has given us an infallible roadmap, His Word, the Bible. And that with the Scriptures and with the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us to safety. But we have to trust the Lord to lead us. So we look to the Word and and look for wisdom and direction. And as we try to rely on the Spirit, we have to trust that the Lord will truly lead us. And, And we know that this can be difficult and hard. Especially when we're confused and and when we're disoriented because of what's going on around us. We may not know what to do or where to go. And so we must walk by faith and trust that God will lead us in the right direction. As we look to His Word, as we trust in the Spirit, as we pray, that He'll get us to the place where we need to go. Standing firmly with our faith in Jesus Christ. Our rock and refuge during times of distress. This is exactly what David does here. And as he's praying for God's help, David is suddenly comforted as he remembers how God has graciously dealt with him in the past. 
First in verse 3, David remembers God's faithfulness. He says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. You see, David remembers how God has, has been there for him during past times of distress and assaults. The Lord has been a place of rest and comfort, a, a tower of, of protection and strength. Again, David is likely recalling the time when he was fleeing from King Saul. And repeatedly, God protected David and delivered him. Even when David was surrounded and, and cornered and, and trapped in a cave. And it seemed like it was impossible. There was no way to get out. No hope for him to be rescued. And yet God provided the deliverance and the way out. So remembering these times of God's faithfulness strengthens David for the present distress. You see, if God was with him to deliver him in the past, well, surely God will not leave him now. And so in the midst of his trouble, David wants the Lord to provide that place of peace, safety, and rest. He makes this very clear in verse 4. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Now the tabernacle is, is the tent of meeting. That was the, the, the central place of worship in Israel before the temple was built. But more significantly, the tabernacle was the symbolic dwelling place of the Lord in the midst of His people. And so David longs then not just to be in the tabernacle but to be in God's glorious presence. And not just now, for a brief moment of time, but forever. This deep desire is reinforced by the second part of verse 4, where David wants to be comforted and protected under the wings of the Lord. Not not that God uh, literally has wings, but again, this is a reference to the ark of God that was set in the most holy place within the tabernacle. And specifically, it was the mercy seat, which was atop the ark, <coughs> that was shattered by the wings of the cherubim on each side. And it was there on the mercy seat, where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement. See, this, was a, this, this throne was an earthly symbol of God's heavenly throne of grace and mercy. And so the picture that we have then of David's deep desire is that he wants to be free from this this affliction. Not just temporarily, but, but once and for all. He wants to be covered by God's grace, mercy and forgiveness, and to be forever in God's glorious presence. So great is his current distress. That David wants the Lord to give him full and complete freedom from the suffering, affliction, and sinfulness of this existence. Beloved of God, has this ever been your desire? Have you ever wished and prayed that the Lord would just end your suffering and whatever trial it is that you may be enduring and free you once and for all from, from the sinful effects of this world? Perhaps, maybe not to the extreme of, Lord, just take me from this life and, and so that I may enter into your, uh, your glorious uh, rest. But perhaps more likely, oh Father, just remove all the sin and suffering in this world. 
Give me perfect healing. Give health to my bones and my body. And give blessing now so that I no longer have to suffer as intensely as I may be suffering. Take away the tears. Take away the pain. Take away the sorrows, the suffering, and the struggle. Take it away, Lord. Remove it far from me, even forever. Friends, we can be comforted in the fact that this was basically the desire expressed by our Lord Jesus. As he prayed earnestly three times in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In this humanity, Jesus wanted to be freed from the suffering, and especially he wanted to bypass the intense pain and suffering of death that he knew was coming at the cross. And yet... After he expresses that desire, he submitted himself to the perfect will of his heavenly Father. You see, for Jesus, victory was gained through suffering. And he trusted in his Father's plan to lead him to the uh, higher place that endures forever. Again, no one likes to suffer pain and distress. But sometimes we're so focused on gaining relief from from the pain that we neglect to trust God's faithfulness. That He has a perfect plan. And that He's able to sovereignly work out even through our suffering to bring us to a place of true rest. And refuge to bring us closer to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ought to make our earnest desire known to the Lord as David does here. But then we ought to submit our will to his perfect will and trust in his faithfulness. Well, next, as David prays, <clears throat> he also remembers God's goodness. See, God has surely been good to David. David was once a lowly shepherd boy, but now God has raised him up to be the king of Israel. And in verse 5, David prays, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. The vows are prayers of faith, expressing his commitment to serve the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God has heard these vows and and greatly blessed David. But God has also given David the assurance of the heritage of those who fear your name. Now for the people of Israel, as we read earlier from Numbers 24, this heritage they received was their inheritance in the land which God had long ago promised to their father Abraham through covenant. God promised that Abraham would have many descendants who would become a great nation and they would take possession of this land and that they would be a great blessing to all the nations of the earth. But David, like Abraham, knew that the inheritance the Lord had given 
goes far beyond just the earthly real estate. The heritage of those who fear your name is a blessing of the heavenly glory which is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Even eternal life in God's glorious presence. Indeed, this the writer of Hebrews notes was what Abraham looked forward to. And so David remembers God's goodness and the salvation that the Lord had provided. And he remembers the good that the Lord still has in store for him. And this certainly ought to be our remembrance as well. If God has been good and gracious toward you in Jesus Christ, then certainly you can have the confidence that He will continue to be good and gracious toward you on in the future. But again, you have to trust in His plan. Even when you may not understand it, you must trust that His plan is good and perfect and that His desire, that God's desire is to bring about your good and His glory. So remember then the goodness of God. And finally, David remembers the promises of God. Not just the promises to Abraham, but specifically God's covenant promises that he made to David. And we find these promises back in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. The Lord through the prophet uh, Nathan says to David, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you. Who will, come from, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so the Lord promised to establish David's throne forever, so that his sons would always reign over God's people. And so because of this, David is assured here in verse 6, that you will prolong the king's life. His years, as many generations, he shall abide before God forever. And so David knows the current distress will eventually come to an end. And as he endures these these, uh, trials, he acknowledges that there's hope. He knows that he will get to the rock that is higher than him. Why? Because God has promised to preserve him and establish his throne even forever. Now this doesn't mean that David was going to live forever. No, but his sons after him would reign and rule over Jerusalem. And if they would be faithful to God's covenant, they would be firmly established as the kings of Israel. But David David knows himself and his own shortcomings. And he knows the temptations that he will face, that his sons will face. will face, And so he adds in the second part of verse 7, Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So here he's praying that, that he and his sons would be preserved. Both now and in the future, in the midst of various temptations that would come, so that God's unfailing covenant love and the truth of God's word would be confirmed as His promises are fulfilled. With love of God, these are the very same assurances which we too can enjoy through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God has given us in His Word 
many great and wonderful promises which we can cling to during times of great trouble and distress. And sometimes the affliction that we are enduring may be so great, it's, it's really all we can do to hold on to these promises, but we must hold on to them. Because it's the only thing that we know is sure and certain. The everlasting promises of God. We know, for example, that the Lord our God goes with us. That He will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that each day God will renew for us the grace and the strength that is sufficient for whatever troubles we face in that day. And so we ought to then take one day at a time and not wear ourselves about what's going to happen tomorrow. Because God promises the grace and strength for today's troubles and trials. We know that when we fall into sin, we have the promise that we can confess our sins and know that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we are, have no uh, stumbling block to, our, to standing in His presence. We know the promise of God that He will surely work out all things. All things. All circumstances He will work out for our good and His glory. We know the promise that even though we will endure through sin and suffering of this world, we know that God's perfect plan will prevail. And we know because we have the promise that has been assured to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and secured for us when He rose again from the dead, defeating all of our enemies, and then is now seated at the right hand of God, we know that we have the promise that despite all we endure in this life, we will one day enjoy full and complete victory through our Lord Jesus Christ when He comes again at the end of the age. And friends, these are just a sampling of the many great promises that God has given to us in His Word. And so remember them. Remember them during your times of, of trial and suffering and affliction. Remember the promises of God. Well, having now remembered God's faithfulness and God's goodness and the promises of God's covenant, David now responds with praise and a commitment to service and obedience. First in the first part of verse 8, So I will sing praise to your name forever. David is, is now moved to give all praise, glory, and honor to the Lord. How could he not? All that the Lord has done for him and all that the Lord will do for him, David can't help but respond with heartfelt praise and gratitude. But the striking thing here is that though David is brought now to a point of praising and giving thanks to God, he hasn't yet been delivered. He's still far away. 
He hasn't yet been brought to the rock, at least not in a physical way. He's still in the midst of distress. But one thing is for sure, emotionally and spiritually, He's already there. He's there because He's trusting in the Lord and He knows that because of God's faithfulness, because of God's goodness, because of the God's covenant promises made to Him, that His safety is secure and certain. And it's as if it's already been accomplished. So whatever the trials or troubles that He faces, He'll endure them in faith and confidence. And He'll reach the good inheritance that the Lord has in store for Him. What a great challenge for us as well. Because of our faith is in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We too can have assurance and confidence even in the midst of all of our troubles. Whatever it is we may, you may be going through in your life even now or, or next week, you can still have the confidence. You can still sing praise to the Lord because you know the end that He will bring about for your good and for His glory. And so David praises the Lord. And the second part of David's response is his commitment to service and obedience. His attitude of, of gratitude continues not only in his praise, but also in his commitment to act in a way that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. He will pay his vows daily. That is, one day at a time he'll seek to rely upon God's strength and grace to be faithful in doing what God has called him to do. This is how he'll demonstrate his love and devotion to such a great God and Savior. And certainly this ought to be our response as well. Even in the midst of distress. As we cry out to God for mercy, grace, deliverance, and relief, let us seek to rely on God's grace to continue serving and obeying Him. It's going to be hard. But we're still called to serve Him and to praise Him as we're reminded of His faithfulness, His goodness, and the wonderful promises of His Word. These will truly help us endure and will even enable us to praise Him and and commit to press on in obedience, serving Him and serving others as we seek to glorify His name. But there's something else that's noteworthy here. You may have noticed back in verse 6 and 7, there was a, a shift in perspective. We had a little discussion in the Sunday school class. Pronouns matter. And in verses 1 through 5, David is speaking first person. He's talking about his experience. But then in verses 6 and 7, he, he shifts to the third person. And then now back in verse 8, he's back to the first person. Now, we can look at this and surely David can speak of himself as king in in the third person, especially as we remember God's covenant with David and he's perhaps looking forward to his sons. But as the sweet psalmist of Israel, who speaks as he's led by the Holy Spirit, we see in this 
transition that David's prayer isn't just for himself, nor is it just for his sons, but prophetically, it's for his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only in Christ can these words ultimately find their greatest fulfillment. And Jesus came as the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, who would sit upon the eternal throne of God. And this is where He is even now, reigning and ruling over all creation for the blessing and benefit of His people, the church. But before Jesus got to that high, exalted position, He endured much suffering and affliction. Even greater than what David describes here. Even greater than what we ever endure in our lives. Because as the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ endured the shameful and painful death of the cross for our sakes and for our sin. But in the midst of it all, Jesus, like David in this psalm, never wavered in His trust in God's plan and purpose for Him. Even in the midst of intense suffering and pain, Jesus looked forward to being placed on that high, exalted throne at the right hand of God the Father. Because He knew the Father had promised it to Him. And that by doing that, He would accomplish salvation for His people. And because of all this that Jesus accomplished, He truly did gain that victory for us. He was established as the righteous rock upon which we now stand in faith amidst whatever storms in life that we may endure. Jesus graciously provides for us the protection, the safety, and the refuge that we long for. Jesus is the rock of security that is higher than us. Brothers and sisters, Truly may the Spirit of God work in your hearts, even now, and lift you up to that solid rock of Christ, where there is found salvation, forgiveness, hope, strength, comfort, protection, and the abounding blessings of God's grace forever and ever, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the great comfort that you give to us in your word. And Lord, there may be those in our midst here that are suffering in a variety of ways. We know some are suffering physically because of illness. Maybe there's grief because of uh, things happening in the lives of their loved ones. Or just in the world around us. And, and we see all the suffering and the, the chaos going on around us. Lord, we pray that you would truly lead us to the rock that is higher than we are. That you would lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would set our feet firmly upon Him. That we might stand in faith. That we might weather this storm and whatever other storms may come in our lives. And that you would strengthen us to endure. And that even as the winds and the waves are battering against us, 
May You give us the grace to continue to praise Your holy name and to be faithful in serving You and reaching out to those in need, ministering in Your name, that Your name would be lifted up and glorified, that the Gospel would continue to go forth even in the midst of our own battered and bruised lives, that You would use the weak vessels that we are for Your glory, that many would come to know Your holy name. And so we pray for Your grace to be poured out upon us. We pray that Your Spirit would uh, impress these truths to our hearts, giving us great comfort and hope as we look forward to truly standing on that rock forever in your glorious eternal presence. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.